0: Okay, no time like the present. Uh, we may actually end up finishing a bit early today, but don't get too excited because one thing that we haven't been able to do is I've, I've dumped a lot of stuff on you and, and haven't uh, necessarily given you a chance for Q&A, question and answer. You're thinking about some stuff and say, well, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Or what are we supposed to do with this? Just some things to think about today. Uh, and hopefully every Wednesday, you've you've gotten some things to think about. So, um, my class, take notes, please. Uh, but don't let your note taking prevent you from actually hearing what I'm saying. I, I like summary notes, you know, bullet point notes. Definitely write down the scriptures, even if you don't write anything else out of, down about them. Write down the scriptures because I'm gonna say some really interesting things today uh, that should put a wrench in the gears, should, should really cause a, your smoke to come out of your ears and just kind of go, that, that is weird. I don't know what to do with that. So um, I, I, better, I better pray and ask, ask my father for um, some help, some power, some grace. Would you bow with me? Father, uh, would you please... Give me your grace. Give me your strength and power today as we draw this semester to a close. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for each and every student in here. My prayer for them is that you would dig open their ears, that they might be able to hear and receive these words. Not that they would take them all as true, but that they would think about them and that they would go and explore for themselves. God, would you would you give us... Uh, an an alertness today? Would you give us an awakeness? I know it's the last full week of school, a full week of classes. I know how tired so many are. I can see how many are not here. But for the ones that are here, would you just wake them up, um, even if it's just for 30 minutes or so, because of the importance of, of these things? We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Last week. Remember last week? Yeah. Last week we began by taking a look at a reality that we all know, we all intuit, we all recognize, we all use every single day. And it comes effortlessly and naturally. It's called a standard, okay? Uh, Parents have standards for obedience, right? For their kids. Students have standards for academics. The police have standards for compliance with the law. Governments have standards for legislation, right? Most importantly of all, God has standards for all of the aforementioned. Now we said last week that God's standard, his law, his rules for life, cannot possibly change. None of you fell out of your chairs, which means there's a disconnect here. Okay, so his laws don't change. So what does that have to do with me, Mr. Dean? Like we said last week, you've been told either directly or indirectly that you don't have to obey his laws because Jesus set you free from them. And if I don't do anything else with the rest of my time at Midland Christian, the one thing that I would pray for, the one thing I do pray for, the one thing I spend more time thinking about is trying to change your minds. What is that? What am I called? Is that an influencer? Do I need my own TikTok channel or something? Yes? Yes? I want to influence you. I'm, I'm being wide open about it. No subtlety. I'm not gonna bait and switch. I want to change your minds. Not that you would be converted to think like I think or believe what I believe. Change your minds enough to question your own faith question what you think you believe in because I don't think you know what you believe in because I don't think you've been given the whole story. And that's not a sinister thing that your parents have done. <laughs> we're going we're to deceive our kids. Not at all. I don't think your parents really questioned it or your grandparents or however many generations back there was a believer in your family didn't question those things. So, We said last week that God's standard, his law, his rules cannot possibly change. Here's what I mean by that. If God arbitrarily decreed, for example, adultery is a sin, then that particular sin would be subject to change. If it was arbitrary. You say, what does arbitrary mean? Arbitrary means it was selected at random. There's no justification for it. God just stood up that day and said, you know what, I think uh, adultery is going to be wrong. If that is how God selects his rules for living, then those rules are always subject to change. Because think about it, he could get up the next day and say, well, you know, I think uh, owning a white dog is a sin. And like 10 of you are going, oh no, right? It's arbitrary. It means inherently it's going to change all the time. So it stands to reason that if one law could be selected at random, then another one could be, and another one, and so on and so forth. We call that kind of thing capricious. The essence of change is inherent in something that is capricious. Yet notice that God never once makes an exception for adultery he doesn't say thou shalt not commit adultery unless the other lady's super hot and your current wife isn't just you know passing muster anymore he doesn't do that thou shalt honor your father and your mother dot 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 unless in your opinion they're not acting very honorably anybody's parents in here ever act in a way that you feel is not very honorable Thank you, Jackson. Yeah, mine did all the time. I thought, geez, does God say, hey, honor your father and mother if they deserve it? No, it's implied even when they don't deserve it. And God knows your parents act like dishonorable people sometimes. But notice how it doesn't matter. Honor your father and mother. But mine are a bunch of jerks. And honor them. But they're not honorable, God. Honor them. Even honor your father and your mother. Notice how his laws do not change. They're exceptionless. They're universal. Just the Jews need to honor their father and mother. You Gentiles, you do whatever you want. No, everyone needs to honor their father and mother. That's important. So the reason that God's laws do not change is that God himself is the standard from which his laws proceed. God's laws come out of who God is, right? Right? And God is not capricious. God does not select anything at random or on a personal whim. God has no one higher by whom he can swear. You know, he's like, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth, man. I swear on my mother's grave. (laughs) She's not even dead yet. Or, you know, "I, I, I swear on the Bible. I'm telling you the truth. When God does that, he's like, I swear by... Me, Because he has no one higher to swear by. So he is the standard. Now, assuming that all that is true, and I believe it is. If God's essential attributes, if his character quality, if those things do not change, then it stands to reason that his standards do not change. And if his standards do not change, and I don't think they do, then his laws do not change. Now, I am not saying that God cannot or does not change his mind. We see in the Bible all over the place, God changing his mind. Why? I thought God doesn't change. A change in mind is a far cry from a change in character. And think about this. Every time God has a change in mind, who's he dealing with? Humans. The most fickle creatures in the world. So... Yeah, makes sense. Let me ask you a question. And please shout it out. You don't have to scream it out, but just interact with me. What is the standard of Christianity? Thank you. Say it again really loud. Jesus. That's the, that's the Sunday school answer too. If you're ever asleep in Sunday school and you, the youth pastor asks a question and he's like, right Noah? And you, you wake up, just say Jesus. And 98% of the time, that's That's it. That's the right answer. Jesus is the standard of Christianity. Now, the interesting question, because that question's not interesting. We all know that. It's Jesus. Why is Jesus the standard? And what is Jesus's standard? What do you think the answer to that one is? What does Jesus use as his standard? Because he's got one too, just like you do. Just like God does. Nobody's without a standard, actually. You can't be a living, breathing, conscious, intelligent being and not have a standard. I'm not going to embarrass you. What do you think Jesus' standard is? The same one as God. God's standard. I heard somebody say perfection. Good. I want you to listen to John the Apostle. This is not first or second or third John. This is just the Gospel of John. I'm going to read three different places and I want you to listen for what Jesus says is his standard. This is John five sixteen. Well, it's actually John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son, me, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. That's John 5. Listen to John 8. So Jesus said to them, John eight twenty eight. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, me, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And then this is John 12, 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. According to Jesus himself, in these verses, what is Jesus' standard? God. What is God's standard? Himself. And how does that standard get expressed to you and me? In what form? Through the law, through the Torah. That's what God said, this is my standard. This is the one you need. So if God's standard is his Torah, his teachings, and Jesus' standard is God, what is Jesus' standard? By A plus B equals C. A squared plus B squared equals, so what is Jesus' standard? C squared. Which is what? Boy, you're so timid. Yes, it is the Torah, very good. It is absolutely the Torah. It can't be anything but the Torah. I need your help. I have no idea what to do with the following verse. Out of Psalm 89. Write this one down, Psalm 89, 34. I'm gonna give you a little context. This is God talking about his faithfulness and his standard. Okay? If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, oh I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes but I will not remove from him my steadfast love and I will not be false to my faithfulness. Here's verse 34, you ready? I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Wait a minute, God just said, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Wait, wait. God cannot and will not change one word of a covenant that has gone forth from his mouth ever, according to verse 34. If Jesus can only speak and only do whatever the Father has given him to speak and do, and the Father cannot, will not alter or change one word of a covenant from his mouth, then can Jesus alter? one word of a covenant from God? No, see, we know the right answer, right? No, it can't be, okay, good. The implications are gonna hit you later on. Does it sound like Jesus can change anything that the Father has given him? It doesn't sound like that. How many of you take some form of math in this school? Raise your hand. You don't have to, oh, I was like, do you have to yeah? Okay, so is it every single student in this room has to take math? Okay. That's what I thunk. How many of you, and I really do want to see your hands because some teachers may not, but how many of you are required to show your work on your math problems? I really didn't think there'd be that many. Okay. Most all of you have to show your work. Why do you think that is? Just shout out your answer. Rainey, what do you think? Okay. Keeps you from cheating. What do you think? orange, pink sweatshirt, cool color, by the way. What do you think? Why do you have to show your work? To show that you know what you're doing. I think both of you are absolutely correct. One is to keep the teacher from assuming you're cheating. Because we live in a day and age where you can just look up anything online and get the right answer. So that you come up with 87,926 million to the 17th coefficient power of the square root of nine, right? And they're like, wow, that's awesome. How'd you get that? Because I'm a genius. Can you show me your work? No, nah, I just did it in my head. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now your teacher says, sorry, that doesn't work. I need to see how you got to that answer. One is so they know that you know, which you're dead on. The other is so they can tell that you didn't just get the right answer. Come with me on another thought experiment. Let's say you have a math teacher that makes you show all your work every time whenever you do solve a math problem. She wants to see a couple of things, right? Did you cheat? No, I got all my work here. Do you know how to actually do the math? Yes, I'm showing you by my work. Then another teacher comes in the next year, does not require you to show your work. And you say, sweet, I don't have to show my work anymore. But if you don't show your work, there's no way for the teacher to correct any mistake. Because you have this problem. It's complicated. And you just arrived at the answer. How does, what if it's the wrong answer? The teacher says, that's incorrect. How does the teacher know where you made your mistake? They, they couldn't possibly know without seeing your work. This is Act chapter 19, by the way. I talked about it in a chapel in the, uh, what's that building called? Thomason, Jim? Remember the seven sons of Sceva? They were Jewish exorcists. And they had gone because this one dude was possessed with some pretty bad mamba-jambas. Remember? And they went in there and they said, By the Jesus that uh, Paul proclaims, we command you come out of this man. And the demons looked right at these seven brothers and said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we recognize. But who the, (coughs) are you guys? And they kind of went, and those demons beat the living crap out of seven men to the extent that they fled. They ran away naked. Remember how I said, could you imagine hitting somebody so hard their clothes blow off? (laughs) That's a hit. Like, that's a knockout. That's not even a TKO. Like, that is, you went to sleep. Boom, the clothes fly off. Or maybe they're just ground and pounding so much that clothes are getting ripped off and just, but these guys run away naked and bleeding. They had the right answer on the math problem Jesus! But they showed no work. There was no work to get them to that right answer, and the demons knew it. So you guys don't actually follow this Jesus, you're just using his name. This is also James, by the way, Jesus' half-brother. James the great, James the apostle. James says in chapter two, verse 18, just listen. You've heard this 100 times, but I want you to listen to it my way. Someone will say, You have faith? Well, I have works. Show me your faith without works. Go ahead. Show me your faith. You can't. Uh Uh-huh, I believe. You do? Who do you believe in? I believe in Jesus. So did the seven sons of Stephen. right? What's the difference between I believe and I have faith? I heard it this way. It's kind of cheesy, but it, it communicates. Guy gets up on... Empire State Building. There's a tightrope stretched across that building and another one. Got a crowd below because there's no safety net. He's not harnessed in. He says, down to the crowd. How many of you think I can cross this tightrope? And they all go, oh, yeah, you can. You're awesome. He says, blindfolded. And they're like, oh yeah, you can do it. They just want to see, you know, they want to see him fall, probably. They're like, do it. So he puts a blindfold on and he goes across the tightrope, gets to the other side, and they all, ah, you rock. And he goes, now for my next trick. How many of you think I can cross the tightrope? Pushing this wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah. So he does. Blindfolded. Oh, that's incredible. Wheelbarrow, blindfolded, tightrope, fall to your death. I can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday. Then the guy says, how many of you think, blindfolded, pushing the wheelbarrow, on the tightrope, I can cross this thing with somebody in it? Ah, yeah, you could do it. Who wants to be the first one to volunteer? And the crowd goes silent. Why, do they believe that he could do it with someone in there, oh sure. Who's got the faith to put their belief in action? Nobody. Faith is your belief kicked into action. James says, show me your faith without any works. Go ahead, I dare you. You can't. But I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Whoop-dee-flippin'-do. So what? The demons believe God is one and they mock. You want to be shown, you moron, I'm not kidding you. That's my translation, but it says, you foolish person. Do you really want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Consider Abraham, our father. Was he not justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But tell me Christians in this room, tell me you've been told you don't have to work your way into heaven. Jesus has paid the price for you. Tell me you haven't heard that. But James says, a person is justified by their works and not by their faith alone. But I've always told I just had to believe in Jebus. When I die, I get to go to heaven. Well, that doesn't line up with scripture, so I don't know what you've been told, and I don't know why, but I know I've been told that. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot, the prostitute? Wasn't she justified by her works? When she received the messengers, the spies, and sent them out another way. Guys, the body apart from the spirit lies dead, James says. So also faith apart from works is dead. No Christian will claim that you don't have to do any work. No Christian says, well, yeah, you don't have to do anything. You just have to believe in Jesus and you can do whatever else you want and you get to go to heaven. I don't think any Christian claims that. What we debate over is what kind of work we Christians have to do and how much we ought to do. No, those will probably get me fired. Um, Oh, I was gonna say, I have this written down. A a crazy question I asked the other day because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not trying to cause you stress I'm not trying to question your faith just to shake things up and just to watch you go, as fun as that is. I really have these questions. And if I can leave you with anything, it's to question everything. Number one, if you don't, it's not your faith, it's your parents and it was gifted to you, cut, paste, and then you walk around, I believe everything my parents taught me. And then you get to college and somebody says, so, you believe a woman has the right to choose, right? And you're like, no. And they're like, oh, really? (laughs) And then they engage in a conversation you have no idea how to actually defend that because you've never thought through it yourself and they destroy you and your faith along with it. So question everything, including everything I tell you, especially everything I tell you. But if it lines up with your standard, then you better make some changes. What I almost got called a heretic, I think, in my own head, but I'm asking these questions because they need to be asked. What if Paul's letters, which makes up most of the New Testament, I would say more than half, what if Paul's letters were not in the New Testament? Would we have a problem, the same problem that we have today concerning God's Old Testament? I don't know. Is the New Testament inspired, students? Is the New Testament inspired? Yes? Yes? What evidence do you have for that statement? The Old Testament never says one word about the inspiration of the New Testament. The New Testament never says one word about the inspiration of the New Testament. Do you know what the New Testament says is inspired? The Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired, God-breathed, and useful for correction, discipline, blah, blah, blah. Notice how it doesn't say all scripture, meaning the gospels and Paul's letters. Paul's writing it. There isn't a New Testament at this time. It doesn't even exist. How can it be inspired if it doesn't exist? Now, am I saying you need to question the New Testament, it's place in the Bible, wouldn't be a bad thing. If the New Testament does belong in the Bible, and I think it does, and I believe every word of the New Testament is true, but is it inspired? Yeah, Mr. Dean, it's inspired. What evidence do you have for that? My pastor told me to, or so. So that's your evidence. Joseph Smith received some golden tablets from an angel named Moroni, and a whole new religion was born called Mormonism. What was his evidence? I had a vision. I'm just saying, we need to ask some hard questions. I believe the New Testament is true. As to its inspiration, I don't know. I'm just gonna admit, I don't know. Why does the Old Testament endorse books that are not inspired, like the book of Enoch? I don't know. Can we go to the book of Enoch and read it? And is that true? I don't know. Why don't we hear more out of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John of the New Testament? Honestly, why don't we hear more out of them? Personally, I don't know how we can read the verses I'm about to read to you and come away with the idea that Christians, kind of like on the math homework, we don't have to show our work. In fact, we don't even have to do the work because Jesus did it for us. We just have to show we have the right answer. Got my Jesus card right there. Listen to these verses I'm gonna read to you out of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. The first one, 1st John 2, 3. I'll wait for you to write that down. Just 1st John 2, 3. So you can actually listen to what, and by the way, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it would take you 10 minutes to read all three of them. 10 minutes, tops at a remedial level, which you're not at, by the way. We know that we have come to know the Father if we keep his commands. is that in the New Testament? Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, then love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Oh yeah, that's right. He lived in complete obedience to God's Torah. (laughs) Interesting. 1 John 3, verse 4. Write that one down too. 1 John 3, verse 4. I wish I could be interpreting this in my own language just to kind of make it fit my agenda, but I'm not. This is what your Bible says. Everyone who sins breaks the Torah. Wait, wait a minute, John. Didn't Jesus die and we don't have to do the Torah anymore? I guess John didn't get the message when he was an old man writing this. Everyone who sins breaks the Torah. In fact, sin is Torahlessness. That's what it actually says. Sin is Torahlessness. It's not having the Torah. Your Bible says lawlessness. But they're not talking about the civil law that Rome put down. He's talking about God's law, Torah. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone Lead you astray. The one who does right, what's your standard? Right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful, by what standard, is of the devil, because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. In other words, wah, 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 that's the teacher on Charlie Brown. If you ever watch those Charlie Brown episodes, just a lot of talk. John says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Here it is, verse 21. Dear friends, If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. This is his command, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. That's me, Mr. Dean. Good, wonderful. Is born of God. And everyone who loves the father. I love the father too. Fantastic. Loves his child as well. See, I told you I love Jesus. Awesome. Verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, This is love for God. I have heard my entire life, Christians only need to love God and love their neighbor. Those are the two commands that Jesus said we have to obey. That's a big steaming pile of bullpucky. Because John said right here, you wanna know what it means to love God? Keep his commands. That's the definition. This is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I couldn't make up this stuff. This is too good. I couldn't come up with this stuff myself. Second John 1. I'm going to go fast. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. What's the truth? Just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning, Leviticus 19.18. I ask that we love one another, and this is love. You ready? that we walk in obedience to the Father's commands. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's, that's how you love, is you walk in God's commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Come with me on one last exchange. I'm gonna need your help to work through this. Consider the following passage from Exodus 31. And actually the whole thing about Sabbath is, is really interesting because God has spent 11 chapters from when he gave Moses the 10 words on Sinai and said, this is my covenant. He spent the next 11 chapters telling Moses to tell the people, this is how we ought to live. Okay, 11 chapters later, it starts out in Exodus 31. This is what the Lord commanded Moses. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, above all, what does above all mean? Yeah, more important than everything else I've said. So 11 chapters worth of commands, and God says, here's the big enchilada. This is the most important thing of everything I've told you. Moses, tell the people. You ready? Here it is. Above all, keep my Sabbaths. Oh, dang, I would have thought you'd have said, like, don't murder. (laughs) Nope. That's an important one. But above all, keep my Sabbaths. And then God's going to talk about Sabbath. What happens if you don't keep Sabbath? And how long the Sabbath command lasts. Verse 16, this is what it sounds like. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations. Let me ask you a question, Midland Christian students. When did the generations of Israel cease? When did they end? They haven't. They're still around today. They're called the... Israelis or or Jewish people? Yes. Okay, good. So we have some Jews living in Israel. Awesome. How about from here to when Jesus comes back? Is that when they're going to end their generations? Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe them all out. No. In fact, Jesus says, no, you'll sit on 12 thrones and you'll judge the 12 tribes of Israel that are still going to be around. So when God says, Tell the people of Israel to keep the Sabbath throughout their generations. What's that a synonym of? Forever. Good, and in case we didn't get that, God says, it's a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now fast forward to the time of Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years after Moses. Give or take a weekend. 700 years later, God is still talking about this whole Sabbath thing, except now there's a difference, and this is your difference. This is the one that actually counts for you. This is what the Lord says in Isaiah 56. Keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, does not disrespect it, who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Here you go. Ready? Verse three. Let not the foreigner, that's you. Are you Jewish? no, Mr. Dean, I'm not Jewish. That's right, you're a Gentile, you're a foreigner. God says, I'm speaking to you guys. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, what do you call, it's not a joke, what do you call a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord through his people? Hmm? They're a Gentile and they say, I like your God better than mine. And I like your laws better than ours. Can I be part of your tribe? What do you call someone, a foreigner, who has joined himself to the Lord? Not a Christian, because Christ won't even be thought of for another, well, he's been thought of, but he won't actually arrive for another 700 years. See, you hear things like, tell the people of Israel, keep the Sabbath. And you go, that's not me and that is probably the singus singus <laughs> the single biggest mystery in the new testament is paul keeps telling all of the gentiles if you join yourselves to jehovah through jesus christ you become a member of the nation of israel so anything told to israel belongs to you. You think I'm kidding? Read Colossians 2. Read, read all of this. Paul says, you become fellow heirs of the promises, of the covenants, of all the good stuff if you've joined yourself to Israel. You become fellow citizens. He, usually, he actually says the word fellow citizens. So when you hear Israel, that's not me. I'm a Christian. You are absolutely dead Wrong. You are part of Israel if you've joined yourself to Jehovah through Jesus. So, God says, let the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, not say, excuse me, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, Israel. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, really? who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument. Awesome. And a name better than sons and daughters. If I'm Jewish and I'm listening to this right now, I'm like, wait, what the heck did you just say? To the foreigners who join themselves to you, you're going to give a name better than me, son? Better than son or daughter? And God says, yeah, that's right. Well, Help me out, guys. What name could possibly be better than son or daughter? God says, Jonathan, you're my son. And you're like, yes! What could possibly be better than you're my son? Or you're my daughter? Think about your own family. Huh? Did you say wife? You're exactly right. That's the only name that's better than son or daughter is wife. You're not just gonna be my son that I can order around and tell what to do. I'm gonna bring you up and be my wife. The foreigners, you're gonna marry them? hmm Holy cow, yeah. I will give a name better than son or daughter. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name Jehovah, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not disrespect it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, that's you, declares, I will gather yet others to Israel besides those already gathered. Guess what Jesus said, John 8. I have sheep that are not of this fold. I'm going to go and gather them as well. And I'm gonna bring those sheep into this fold and there will be one flock, one pastor, one voice. He's talking about you. He's echoing exactly what his father just said. God talks about the Sabbath at creation, in the Torah, given to Moses, to Israel, Judah, the divided kingdom, David, Solomon, all the prophets, Jesus, Paul, all the disciples talk about Sabbath continually. And then Isaiah says in chapter 66, for as the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me. Hey, when do we get the new heaven and the new earth? What time frame is that talking about? Oh, at the end of time at judgment day after, uh, okay, so cool. So Isaiah is talking about the end of time. He says, for as the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain before me from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come and worship before me. Did you hear that? God's still talking about Sabbath even at the end of time into the next life. And you're sitting there going, Sabbath, we don't have to do that, do we? Surely that can't be important to God. I'll end with this God's standard is what unites us, it's the only thing that unites us. Question your standard, question everything. But don't stay in a place of doubt constantly, because then you become skeptical and then you become cynical doubt everything, question everything. And this is a great place to do it, Midland Christian, because it's a safe place to doubt. It's a safe place to question. If you start questioning out there at college, I don't know what you'll come up with if you don't have a strong grounding in what the truth is here. Okay, is there any questions from any of you? Don't think you're being respectful if you sit there quietly. Anybody have any questions? I know there's a lot of verses in the New Testament that you are probably thinking of or could go to and say, hey, this verse says we don't have to do that. Only one comment to that. How can Jesus change any commandment of God? And if Jesus can't, how could Paul? How could Paul possibly do that or anyone else? I, I just don't know. Any questions, Tyler? Anybody, anything? You good? You good? Got all your theology worked out. Sweet. All of you have all your theology worked out? Oh, hey, what's going on? Somebody passed out. Noah, hey, buddy. Um, So if God's commandment is to keep the Torah, how are some ways we can do that? Okay, great question. If God really expects us to keep the Torah, or the Sabbath, how could we do that? Man, if you would allow me one more Wednesday... I will tell you everything I've learned about the Sabbath since about January of this year. And I'll squish it into about 30 minutes. Awesome question. Somebody please say, hey, Mr. Dean, are you doing any of this stuff you're talking about? I actually am. I am, I'm trying anyways. And I've never had more fun in my Christian walk than keeping the festivals that God said trying to eat the way God said, and taking a day to unplug from the so crazy, chaotic lives that we live and just hang out with friends and family and read my Bible, um, go here, go there, but not with you know, the pace that we always go. It, it's crazy, it's awesome. Anyways, uh, it's 1013, we're finishing right on time. Would you please set up the uh, cafeteria and the big groups of people that you see standing around doing nothing, uh, mock them and boo at them and and jeer at them and and fling your nose like like that and, and something like that. You know, make them feel bad. Okay, God bless you.